but you set the plan, but you have to keep asking yourself, has the situation changed? And gosh, it has changed. Hello and welcome to this edition of Revenue Riser. There's no denying that the situation has changed and continues to do so. But how are we as leaders adapting? How do we create and sustain rock star teams that learn and succeed together? I'm your host, Anna Britnell Guest, and I was delighted that Pia Lee and Greg Wade were up for sharing this conversation with you. I've known them both for a few years now. They both have a thoughtful and persuasive outspokenness. Neither is afraid to say how they see things and to propose what we need to do to improve. As his alter ego, the defender, Greg Wade is on a mission to wipe out toxic leadership, and he's got some thought-provoking stats to share with us. In his latest venture to improve the quality of leadership, one leader at a time, Greg is helping more leaders to access mentoring and has recently published an ebook, Mentorship, The Path to Supercharging Your Career. Pia Lee is CEO of Squadify, a team survey and development tool like no other. With many years' experience in leadership and organizational development, Pia and her colleagues could see a lack of support to really help teams perform at their peak, and so Squadify was born. I was intrigued and excited about where the conversation might take us around what constitutes and creates both great leaders and great teams in 2021 and beyond. So jump in with me as they share their experiences. Pia, let me start with a question for you. So much has changed in the last year, and yet we all know that revenue targets only ever go up. And there's only so, so long and so far that we can just keep working harder or even just smarter to get there. So how should we be looking at this, do you think? Well, Anna, it's, um, it's easy just to keep going. So when a situation blows up like this, and, and you know, we may be in one of the biggest social experiments that we actually didn't plan to be in, in the whole of our lives. We've suddenly arrived at something. We're expecting to go back to whatever this new normal is or old normal, and it's unlikely to be happening. You know, we are, we are social creatures. We had an expected way of working which was we all went to places to work. Probably for some of us, we quite enjoyed having a separation between home and work. And now it's all blended. And so it's been thrust upon us. And luckily, through technology, we're able to really adapt in one respect in terms of communication. But how is it impacting the dynamic of us as individuals and collectively uh, you know, when I started working in Australia, I worked uh, with a leadership consultancy run by ex-military. And one of them, they always used to say is, you know, you set the plan, but you have to keep asking yourself, has the situation changed? And gosh, it has changed. So first is embracing the fact that the situation has changed. That then enables us to find the best strategy and ways to really support ourselves, our people, and our businesses. And yes, targets will always go up. The demands are still there, but the situation has changed. So how do we lead in that? 
How do we create the right conditions? And how do we support ourselves as human beings? Otherwise, we might end up with a whole bunch of bigger problems that we hadn't anticipated. So does that mean we need to be thinking about how we value and how we measure performance? Because in in the sales world, historically, it was all about the numbers. So how would you redefine or rethink about high performance here? I think it is absolutely about the numbers. So high performance is about that delivery, but it's the context of which that delivery is happening. There's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of transformation and there's a lot of change. And then the other context is people are working remotely, virtually, in a hybrid setting. And some people are working back at the office, but they're relatively few. So we've got this situation where you're trying to deliver those results with some people in the office some of the time. That's the context that creates the challenge. So we can approach that by working harder, longer hours. You know, some organizations we've been reading about have been asking their people to dig deeper. They're working a 95-hour week. You know, I'm not sure how much deeper we can go there. Asking for more is wanting a short-term solution. We've got to think about this in a different way. And so how do we create the right conditions for people to be successful? So In the world that I exist in, you're looking at teams and you're looking at that collective horsepower that you have. And we all work in teams. We just sometimes don't even recognize it. We still see people as individuals and those individuals may not be able to harness that collective wisdom of the team in a really clever way. But we see it as the we, not me. How do you create the conditions as a team leader for your team to be successful? How do you recognize that unit? And how do you harness that power? How do you set up those conditions and have really clear direction, really optimal climate so that they're supported in a sort of psychologically safe way, but also in your systems and processes and the way that you operate? And how do you build their competence or their capability as effectively as you can. Widening the lens is a really important part. We did a little bit of research at the beginning of COVID and found that where people's mindset went to was tactical and task. Because of the pressure, we go down and totally to the task. And what we forget then is that there is a people part of that. We've got humans involved here and a strategic. So we have to really widen the lens of the way that we see success. Success is not just about the number. The number is the result of what we put in and the conditions that we create for those success. Greg, to bring you in here, what what does this mean for leaders? Well, it's a great it's a great question. And as Pia was mentioning, the expectations and and I would call anticipation as well has changed about leaders as well as teams and organizations. And, you know, shareholders are looking to leaders to have have more foresight, be more resilient, be agile, and come up with bold strategies. And, and when you think about the, the pressures and the challenges that are being placed on leaders today, you know, this is, this is a time that, as the saying is these days, is unprecedented, but it's true. There's even more pressure on leaders today to perform, and then by extension, than the team's. But the challenge with that, the notion that the pressure is on the leaders, is that, unfortunately, and uh, Gartner came out with a study pre-COVID, 
over 50% of leaders in that study identified that they were ill-equipped to lead the teams that they were responsible for. So I thought that was quite quite interesting, you know, again, pre-COVID. Well, McKinsey came out uh, very recently with a study that they titled Better Bosses. I thought it was quite an appropriate title. And through their study and their analysis, and I couldn't believe this number, over 56% of the respondents indicated that their boss, their manager, was either mildly toxic or highly toxic. So the folks that we generally learn from are our managers. They're our immediate bosses. And they're reporting that they're ill-equipped to lead. And the people who are within those teams are identifying that their boss causes them great anxiety and stress. So what are we to do? And of course, there are answers. I think a big part of what rests in the answer um, is something that I'm uh, a significant proponent of, and that is mentorship. One of the most underutilized professional skills tools available is mentorship. It, it, it can contribute to significantly making a difference to me. So as Pia mentioned, it starts with we, and I completely agree. That first step to improvement and to challenging ourselves starts with the leader. He or she has to recognize that within them, in order to be able to propel themselves for the future, they have to make significant ch- changes um, in their skills and their capabilities. So what do you think leaders need to be really focusing on? And you know, Pierre talked about digging deeper in the sense of, I think, work longer hours was, was the message that was coming out. But actually what we are talking about here really is digging deeper in terms of digging deeper for ourselves. That's right. What should leaders really be thinking about at this point and focusing on, do you think? So the study I mentioned, the McKinsey study, shared that 76% of the respondents indicated that the most toxic and most stressful engagement in their daily work life was their boss. So that is significant, significant observation of the people that we're working with are causing us great stress. So the leaders, those involved, those at the helm of these organizations really have to take a good, hard look at their skills, their capabilities, their leadership style, et cetera, because at core of it is the sense of engagement, of happiness, and of fulfillment of individuals, the teams that we're leading. And that links so well to what Pia was mentioning earlier about high-performance teams as well. And that ultimately, we want to get to that point where we have high-performance team environment in place, that we have leaders who can inspire leaders who are capable of engaging us and aligning the organization around a common purpose and a common objective, and that we are all in this endeavor together. We support each other. This is not about a reactive environment, but a proactive environment and a space where in a place where we can succeed uh, together, we feel great about what we're contributing to. And, And guess what? Shareholders, customers, prospects, they're all going to be looking for this from us as we lead these organizations. Greg, I think i think you're spot on there. And I wonder if we're at this place where this is about leadership, not just leaders. And it's about the practice of leadership. We ascend to roles and we feel like we're expected to know all the answers. There's a myth mm. that you're in that role of leadership because you have a high degree of technical expertise. Whereas in actual fact, as you ascend up this leadership pipeline, you start to transition to greater leadership 
and less expertise. Because if you've got greater leadership, you're building that capacity of the people around you. Whereas if you just become the oracle, <laughs> the leader at the center, you're under putting yourself under enormous pressure, which of course may come out as some bad behaviors that people find difficult to be around and and may not be the exemplary leadership that you would like to, to have within the, the people that you're leading. And so that they then might judge you then for being toxic. But what we're doing is putting ourselves under that pressure of, I have to know all the answers. I have to figure this out. Then I have to tell you what to do. And that's the myth, I think, with this seismic shift that has happened with the pandemic, with the ways of working, we have to change our mindset. We have to change the way that we see leadership. When you're at the C-level, you would anticipate that from the board interaction as well, that they would have individuals on the board with experience, background, knowledge, interest to actually help guide the CEO or the COO, whomever that might be. The notion of it's lonely at the top, I think, is true. But I think so much of it also relates to the fact that those leaders, as you were describing, they don't take the step to ask for help because they're embarrassed, because there's a barrier. I'm at this level. Why am I asking for help? Well, a great executive coach of mine once said, you know, that granted, he's had some challenges, but still... Tiger Woods, even at the height of his game, still has a coach, still has somebody, a mentor with whom or to whom he engages. I, th I think that's it. It's, it's not feeling like you have to know it all. You have to be the best. And you put yourself under that extreme pressure because that pressure is going to translate down to the people that you lead and the environment you create. And that will be suboptimal. So it's stepping back and going, how do I set? everybody up for success. It's a different way in order for them to be at their best. And we will then achieve the results, probably even blow the results out of the water. But I have to see this slightly differently and change that mindset that has driven us for probably the last 100 years since the Industrial Revolution, but now has to change in order to deal with this much more integrated ecosystem complex world that we are existing in. It's, so it's time to have a, a conversation with yourself first. Think about the things that you need to really start to, okay, the problem I can redefine. And the problem is about that clarity of expectations and conditions that I can create for people around me. Exactly. Pia, I think that's wonderful what you've just shared. You know, I believe in in the ability to to build great leaders one leader at a time. And it may sound, you know, like an insurmountable task or objective. If you or we, mentors, guides, et cetera, can all impact one individual, he or she is going to take on those experiences. And as leading from the top, so to have that impact on the organization, he or she is going to leave an indelible mark on those within his or, his or her organization. And guess what? That leads, I think, to the opportunity to pay it forward. Folks are going to truly learn from aspirational leaders, from inspirational leaders, from leaders who are able to affect a plan, implement a plan, and demonstrate success. They're going to pass on those skills, those experiences to others who then pass those on to the next generation. And so we have every opportunity through this 
crazy time to look forward in a very positive way that we can truly affect um, our organizations and people within those organizations uh, for something completely different in future. I think you make a really good point there, Greg, because we can probably all think of mentors and coaches and individuals that we've worked in in one capacity another or another who have shone those lights and who have really role modeled the right behaviors with integrity and and we remember them and, and we try and emulate them as much as we remember those that maybe behaved in in more toxic and, and less desirable ways and do our best to avoid that as well yeah, indeed, indeed. You know, uh, I was taking a look at another study, which was, um, it was uh, Olivet uh, Nazarene University uh, shared a, a study, which was that 97% of leaders with a mentor report positive experiences. But unfortunately, only 37% of professionals actually have a mentor. So it's a huge, huge gap. Uh, and then an interesting stat as well, that 75% of Fortune 500 companies, so I thought this was pretty decent, 75% of Fortune 500 companies have a mentor program in place. Now, that may be relegated to the, the C-suite, to the senior levels within the organization. So that's a huge challenge to the, to the Fortune 500 to expand you know, the mentorship programs to be relevant to the up-and-coming leaders, uh, but only 25%. Uh, small and mid-sized businesses actually have a formal mentor program. So there's another gap there in the delivery of and the exchange and the interaction with people with, from whom we can learn good things. Uh, so there's a, a ample, ample opportunity. There's an interesting thing, I think, underpinning a lot of this, which is all about learning mm. and, and adapting. And for that, we need to be prepared to put ourselves outside of our comfort zones and try things out and therefore put ourselves in the vulnerable position that we might get it wrong and it might not work. And it was making me think as you were both talking over the last few minutes of the uh, the Kuzan Posner um, Leadership Challenge study that's being repeated over about the last 20 odd years, I think. One of the things that they highlight time and time again as some of the most respected characteristics in leaders, well, two, two of them that are repeatedly in the top four. One is about competence. And the other one is about being honest. It reminded me, I think, Pia, you were talking a few minutes ago about leaders and needing to know all the answers. And actually, you know, that's trying to be competent in the function as opposed to competent in leadership capability. But also, actually, nobody knows everything. And particularly if you go back to the question of has the situation changed? And the answer is yes, it has. And it will again and again and again that it's actually just not sustainable to be competent if you define that as knowing everything and honest, because you will be constantly probably winging it, pretending you know more than you do. And so that was coming into my mind as you were talking and as you talked about mentorship, being able to be vulnerable and therefore having and creating that psychological safety for yourself and for those boards and, and exec leadership teams, and then within the teams themselves, strikes me as being really critical here. And Pierre, I know that you know, a lot of the work that you've been doing with teams really looks into that, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I mean, we did some research with the London School of Economics, and what we found was that the key drivers of success 
was not competence. <laughs> so, you know, that this one knock, knock, knocks this one on the head a little bit. And so, and I think what you picked up and what you said was exactly right. So it's not the knowledge and skill that you have as a leader is not going to be a key driver in creating the outcomes. The behaviors and attitude that you have are. And what they then set are the two key drivers that create high performance, creating the right clarity for people. And we really underestimate how important this is. You know, there's a huge difference between information and understanding. I, I had a, a lovely CEO once who was completely baffled by the fact that people didn't understand the vision because he communicated it once via email. Well, that's information going out, but it doesn't doesn't have any any difference. We've got to you've got to circle it round with getting people's understanding. And that takes quite a lot more effort and takes a lot more questioning and understanding and involvement to be able to do that. So that clarity is absolutely critical that people are feeling like they are contributing to a plan, a purpose and a vision. And they and they feel intrinsically part of that rather than it put upon them. And when you're separated by geography and distance and medium, that clarity has to be worked on even more. We, we really have to focus on that. So it's not the technical capacity to sell. It's actually making sure and supporting individuals and the team that they're really clear about what it is they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they're going to do it. That That's absolutely critically important. And then the second bit is, how do you create the right climate for them to be optimal. So, you know, this is, we used to think that, you know, we're going to have a team day, take them out to the pub, everything will be fine. And it was to some degree, we all enjoyed that. And that enabled people to build strong personal connections and and build that sort of social fiber. But sometimes we weren't able to have the right level of conversation and tension sparked We would sometimes triangulate some of our communication, not go directly, make things more more complex. And people were not feeling like they could bring their voice to the table. And then now, the changes that we've all experienced, that's being amplified. So, you know, you've really got to ask, does everybody in my team have a voice? And therefore, am I really getting a diverse? Am I including everybody in that? Or is it a singular voice? So the way that we look at it from a team perspective, do I have individual rock stars in my team, which many of us do, or do I actually have a rock star team? Because that is very different. A rock star team takes a different mindset and a different way of shaping that. But the outcomes, certainly from all the work that we've done, you're looking at 10% increased sales, you're looking at higher engagement, you're looking at increased productivity. So the results speak for themselves. But to really harness that, you've got to think, how am I going to set them up with the right clarity? And how am I going to build that psychological safety, that culture, that optimum way of working as a team? And then the way that we can really build that with the right behaviors and attitude and the right competence. We call it those three C's, clarity, climate, and competence. They're the three things that a leader has to create as the conditions. But that's the practice of leadership, which is the conversation Greg and I were having before. 
that's not about being a leader. That's not status, rank, position, how much you earn. That is the action of leadership. So I'm a huge proponent in, in three C's. One of the additional aspects is context. And if we're thinking about salespeople in particular, and so often than not, the transaction itself, the net benefit to the company and ultimately to the consumer, the buyer, et cetera, is unknown. You're selling a, we'll call it a widget, but you're selling a service or a product. And what is the ultimate benefit? And one of the things I've found that this takes a certain vulnerability and openness by the leader is to be able to provide additional context. And context comes from the belief that you don't have to necessarily hide things. And that's, again, that's honesty, which is another important leadership skill. But you don't have to hide things, nor do you have to sugarcoat. You can be open and upfront. But again, that takes boldness and that takes a certain vulnerability. But once you're able to do that, then the salespeople who are involved understand more completely you know, why the heck they're doing what they're doing? What benefit am I actually providing to society, to a consumer, to a business? So that's another important component. And I, I spent a lot of time mentoring others to provide that context to their organizations. And they see tremendous benefit from that. That's so important, context. And, and I guess we would probably both agree that everyone's context is unique. And yes. that's an act of leadership. That's an act of leadership to really articulate it. So one leader listening to this podcast will have a completely different context than someone else. And so the bit that we are in danger of losing is the dialogue. If we don't inspire the right conversation, the right dialogue, we'll, we'll never understand the way that we have to adapt to that context because it's changing all the time, but it's really important to be able to create that. And we don't, up until now, we haven't, I don't think we've emphasized enough about that quality. That's a leadership quality, asking the right questions, being curious, not imposing your own view on everybody else, but actually, as I said before, harnessing and really asking those questions of your team in order to understand better. And if you're in that position, then you're able to go, okay, I now can see what, how I can support this team rather than just driving them harder, automatically thinking that that's going to create results. Because it's probably not going to work in today's environment. We are pushed. We've got greater workplace loneliness. You know, I'm sure we've all read that, that slightly terrifying HBR article that asked 1,500 people across 46 countries, you know, how is your well-being in work post-COVID? And 89% said it was worse. And 50% of that is attributed to increased work pressure. It doesn't take Einstein to work out. People are going to burn out. This is not good. We have a leadership responsibility to think about and to take different actions at this time. And what we take will have a huge impact for the organizations and the teams that we lead 10, 15, 20 years down the track. But if we don't take them today, if we don't accept that the situation has changed, we're going to have a much bigger problem, in my humble view, on our hands. There is so much stress and pressure on leaders to perform and have their organizations perform. And then you add on top of that, that they're now responsible for the safety of their employees or responsible for the safety of their customers. It's an incredible amount of pressure. And then on top of that, 
Again, you get back to what shareholders are looking for. We want you to be more, you know, be more resilient and we want you to have foresight. And then, of course, on the consumer front, uh, they're also, you know, rightfully demanding greater sustainability and greater adaptability. We want more. We want more and more and more. Part of the answer for how we're able to adapt and move forward is within you, within the leader to say, listen, I want to be that leader who engages, who poses those great questions, who is genuinely interested. They're genuinely curious and interested in what you as a contributor to that team and to that organization are interested in, what difference you want to make, what your concerns are, et cetera, et cetera. It takes a very different leader to be able to navigate uh, the world that we are now in. And and also that's not easy because we've all been schooled Mm. in an old world. That's right. And then that world changed. 2020, change. And and then we had no idea necessarily how it's going. We don't still don't know how it's all going to play out, but we know it's going to be different. And we know that that's putting those pressures on. But if we keep looking back over our shoulder to the history of how we have been, how we've been raised in this corporate world and these corporate teams and these sales teams, we may be underutilizing our own capacity. And we may find it really frustrating. Whereas in actual fact, we've really got to think, okay, the situation has changed. And what now can I do? What can I draw upon it? Because it's probably there. We just got to, we just got to look a little harder to think about and expand that vision, widen that lens to think about how we can create success. There's an area that I'd like to just drill down a little bit more in, in terms of that, because when we talk about the situation has changed from a sales perspective, if we look back into the past for a moment, salespeople were pretty independent. You know, the job adverts started with your know, self-starters, self-motivated, self-reliant, right? We want you to take this target, stick it on your back and off you go and bring in the numbers. And COVID hasn't changed that. That has been changing for a number of years. If you look at complex B2B selling, you know, salespeople are not lone wolves anymore. Companies do care how they make the numbers in many different ways. Salespeople are expected to still be self-motivated and self-reliant and full of resilience and all of those things, but they are also now expected to be team players. And yet everybody talks about sales teams and there's generally not very much that's been team-like about a sales team because everybody is independently targeted and measured. And even pre-COVID, they rarely saw each other because they were out focusing on their customers. And I think, you know, one of the things that has been changing and even more so now in some of the uncharted territory and as companies are looking to grow in ways they haven't grown before in a context that they're not familiar with is that actually sales teams do need to be more of a team. You know, I see a lot of sales leaders thinking about how do we get our salespeople to actually share knowledge and share experiences with each other in ways that are not dependent on, we're going to have a sales meeting and now we're going to go around the room and each turn, you know, take the talking stick and say something, but actually collaboratively get their heads together and brainstorm things and war room things and figure things out and genuinely learn from each other and build up a body of data and insight that everybody can benefit from. And I think there's a huge opportunity there, but it's not as simple as it sounds because apart from all the geographic virtual distance we've got, that requires salespeople to be much more open with their colleagues 
about not just their wins, but the things that they struggle with and the challenges and the losses and then taking some risks to do something different. And all of that is quite uncomfortable when you've got targets to make and it's uncomfortable to bring it back to the leaders to ask and to support their salespeople to do that. Um, so I'm interested in you know, your views around what is it that leaders can be doing and, and what can teams be doing here to try and create the kind of climate that they can really leverage. Back to your point, Pierre, rather than being a team of rock star salespeople, but actually being a rock star team that is going to be much higher performing and sustainably so. I think that's fascinating. And two, and two things happened last year. I mean, d- during 2020, I was working with a number of sales teams and working working with them with Squadify. And, and two things, two things changed. One was suddenly everybody became more relaxed about where they were running their Zoom from. We have our cats, dogs, children. We were homeschooling. We would look fairly presentable, the top half of us, and we'd be wearing Ugg boots in the bottom part. We changed the way that we saw one another. And with that came a different perspective about our vulnerabilities and how we could support one another. And I worked with a number of sales teams last year, and it's exactly as you you described, individually gold, when they were actually then talking about, based on the, the data, how they were operating as a team, they found that they didn't give each other feedback and, and they weren't necessarily supporting each other. And yet, as the vulnerability and the context, as Greg talked about, changed, the realization became, we need to lean in here. We need to support one another. But it was very much dependent on the team leader asking that question. How can we do this differently? How can we share? And suddenly, it was like a tidal wave. God, you know, actually, we're all individually gold here. But the bigger picture is that we succeed. We succeed. The competition is not between us. Yes, that's meant to motivate us. Yes, we understand that. But the bigger goal here is that we collectively succeed so that we drive more value, more productivity, more outputs to the customers and clients that really need what we're doing. So that then brokered people to ask questions of each other. You know, how can we do this differently? To get a shared meaning and understanding of why are we doing what we're doing and what's our collective goal? Not just a dollar figure or a pound figure, but actually what do we want to achieve? And it may only be over the six months or the 12 months. And then how can the leader facilitate that conversation so that we all have a voice as to how we can best do that? And suddenly you could feel these individuals take a step forward to becoming a team. And that was all over Zoom, multiple <laughs> multiple little screens, but you could feel that collective leaning in. We're working together. I can start to get your back. We can start to go, well, actually, have you tried this? Have you done this? And it was suddenly we found the communication outside team meetings was increasing and in team meetings was becoming more shared. One of the things that I've found um, particularly in sales and has had a dramatic impact to the end result is the inclusion of data and insights to assist the leader and then ultimately the teams in better understanding the opportunity ahead of them, the 
positioning, the benefit, et cetera. Because all too often, it's incredible sometimes when I'm engaging with some senior sales leadership where they're still making decisions based on gut. Now, that's okay. You, you know, you've had 25 years of experience, 30 years of experience in selling XYZ. But again, the world has changed. Folks who are learning from you probably weren't alive 30 years ago when you were, you know, when you were learning your sales skills. And, uh, you know, the, sort of that gut reaction, gut response is good in the spur of the moment, sort of reactionary approach to things. But ultimately, if you're trying to build a business and you're trying to do things differently and to, you know, affect in a positive way, distributors, partners, customers, prospects, et cetera, adding in the quantitative components of the data and insights in a comprehensive way. It doesn't have to be costly. It doesn't have to be time-consuming, but you add that into the mix. You as a sales leader are now all of a sudden in a much better position to take that gut component, match it up with the data and the insights, and then be able to then express that throughout the organization. So people can come together and say, oh, I didn't know that key buying you know, behavior or that insight that we received from that particular city or that particular state. That's really interesting for me to be able to use you know, for my own purposes. And you start to see that gel as well across the team where people are starting to utilize input and insights and intel to help them make better decisions as well as to behave in a very different way. You're, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, that that was to a large degree a driving force why we created Squadify because we felt that teams just didn't have that data. It was aggregated from individual responses about an organization and aggregated to team. What we wanted to ask was, was what you were talking about was about this team here, what is our collective view And then that data gives us a really informed choice to make about the development. And that is facilitated through a dialogue. And that's the really key part. We're human beings. We're social creatures. We need to talk. We need to get the data, but then we need to talk, have that interaction, and actually feel good about it and come to some and work through some of the tensions or the frustrations get that aligned collaboration. And that is the sense of creating a team doing that. What has happened, I think, historically is in the 90s, it was all a rage, you know, there's no I in team. Then we spent the next 20, 30 years creating silos and totally manipulating what a team was. That today I talk to people who say, yeah, I've got a team. There's 120 of them across, you know, 13 countries. No, that's not a team. That's a group. Or that's a function, you know. So we've lost the importance and the reverence around a team. But the team is the most critical unit working with the leader to deliver the outcomes. That's where we can have the biggest influence. And for us to be able to practice that that leadership that we talked about and that leadership to be able to be not just the leader and the team, but a collective. How does the leader bring the team together so that, collectively, they can solve these big, tricky issues in a, in a very difficult time and support one another. Well, that's a really big question there, Pia. And we've talked a lot about data and the dialogue. And for me, this has been a really interesting dialogue. There's so much we could dig into. And I'd love to invite you both back to carry on this conversation in a, in a future episode. 
But by way of wrapping up, as we're pretty much up to time, what would you leave our revenue leaders who might be listening to this episode with? What would be your parting comment? Pia, let's come to you first. Uh, Thanks, Anna. Well, I think that for me, it's about we talked a lot about this sort of this, this moment in time of seeing success in a different context, not just about driving revenue and asking for more, but actually creating the right conditions in order for the team to be successful. So thinking about the clarity, the what are we doing, why are we doing it, how are we doing it, how do I, how do we create the optimal climate, so that environment for my team to be successful, which is all the, the systems and processes, but also that psychological safety, that culture that, that really creates that to happen. And how do I role model the right competence in terms of my behaviours, my attitudes, and my leadership example, and how do I support then through that to build the competence of the rest of my team? That that probably would be my takeaway from today. Fantastic! I, think, I love that. Go on, Greg. Oh yeah, I love it too. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you know from my perspective, uh, and gosh, P, as you were describing team environments earlier, I was thinking back to some of these wonderful days of high performance teams. And I remember us uh, as as a team as team members asking, "Do you think we're ever going to have something like this ever again?" But for me, um, a big part of uh, this discussion as well really gets down to the fact that again, leaders and teams, organizations are now operating in one of the most uh, stressful and pressure ridden in environments ever. You know, with so much emphasis and. And uh, importance placed by shareholders, by the public, our consumers, prospects, et cetera, on us. We cannot continue to emulate the way we've behaved as leaders or as organizations. The, the, the question really gets down to the individual leader, manager. Do you want to change? And if you do want to change and you want to be able to instill yourself with a enhanced skill set or to just challenge yourself to be better. As McKinsey said, better bosses, building better bosses. If you want to do that, then the opportunity is there for you to reach out, to engage with a whole variety of different tools and you know development uh, skills. And one of those, to me, one of the most underutilized tools is, of course, mentorship. And I really think that that's a key component that so many leaders are missing today is that opportunity to learn from somebody. Yes, they may not have endured a pandemic, but they certainly have endured significant challenges and propelled their organizations to different heights, their teams, to amazing environments. And it's that opportunity that we have as leaders to say, yes, I want to change because when I change and I improve, there is a tremendous benefit to my organization, to my team. And that notion of paying it forward really comes true. So I would really encourage um, those to seek out mentorships. There's such a theme about role modeling behaviors, Mm. whether it's role modeling it for yourself, finding role models in the form of mentors and others that you can learn from. And I think to me, one one of those behaviors that we've touched on, but I'd highlight perhaps as my parting comment is, is being curious, asking questions and asking questions not to prove your point, but asking questions to genuinely learn. So really being open-minded as leaders, going and asking questions of the team, going and asking questions of customers, 
of the board, of other functions, and being open-minded to what you learn, because that's how we create those dialogues. That's how we start to create that psychological safety and the ability to try different things and to investigate and look at other ways of doing things. And so I think you know that role modeling and thinking about behaviors and starting with ourselves, I think is, is a core thread in what we've talked about. Thank you both very much. It's been a real pleasure and so interesting to, to look at it both from a leadership and from a team perspective and how to bring those things together. Thanks, Thank Anna. you, Anna. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Well, you may have noticed I didn't get much of a word in there, but I hope, like me, you enjoyed the dynamic between Pia and Greg as they wove together the role of leaders and the nature of teams. So much to think about as we plan sales organizations of the future. And if you enjoyed this episode, here are a couple of others you might like on related themes. In season one, episode five, we talked about actionable insights and data. And in episode one, we talked about leading growth in a volatile world. Also look out this season for an upcoming conversation about happiness and engagement with Matt Phelan and Kathy Belford. And of course, please like and subscribe if you're enjoying the content. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.